um, start with prayer. The first thing we've got is a reminder that coming the month of October, we've got a one-month window for a couple's checkup. So if you are married and would like to participate with a profile assessment from Prepare and Rich, then we invite you to take part on that. You would go online and do it that way. You would get a report that is confidential. Uh, I realize that that raised a few questions last week when we didn't make that clear. But the church will get, the leadership will get a cumulative report. Uh, you will only get a report about your particular marriage and with suggestions for uh, ways to continue to enjoy it and to uh, grow. So I'm just, we're just kind of saying, hey, save the date, prepare ahead of time. Hopefully you can uh, participate in that with us. Uh, secondly, our church center app, we are still pushing and promoting that for a number of reasons. You can go online on our website and get uh, directions on how to get on that. It lists events. It lets you become part of small groups and, and mid-sized groups that you're already in so that you can text and chat and, and uh, share prayer requests and keep up with the events of the church. It's a, it's a really great uh, app. Uh, one of the best things about it that uh, people are finding is it does have our directory on it. So uh, you enter whatever information you want to give. You can post a picture on it. And if you use the app, then you get it, uh, it's a little bit easier to connect with people within the church family. So we want to continue uh, to promote that uh, for you as well. And then it seems like there was a third thing. There, there is a third thing. <laughs> it's right on the, it's a PACN. Okay, thank you. Our Pregnancy Assistance Center uh, here in Conroe. We are uh, filling baby bottles with change or checks, whatever you want to do. And those are due next week. We want to bring those by the end of September and we'll give them back. It's just another way to uh, support life in our community and support their great ministry with uh, men and women of unplanned pregnancies. And uh, all of that money will go directly to them and be used to continue to promote uh, their ministry. So we remind you to bring that back next week. God's word says this, and I think it's a great application for any time we gather as a church family. Isaiah wrote, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. And so it's my prayer that you and I will be able to keep our minds focused on Christ and by his grace, hear from him and receive his comfort and peace and joy. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you offer us uh, this relationship which you initiated by faith. And we thank you for the privilege that we have to draw close to you and to be strengthened uh, by your inner strength to... Um, to learn kindness and character and joy and peace and love uh, because you're working on us from the inside. And we give you thanks for that. We thank you for the privilege of gathering. And we realize, Lord, that when we come together, we all come from different places. And uh, some are places of brokenness and uh, sadness and some places of, of triumph and happiness. And we ask that uh, through it all, that uh, you would give us the grace to allow the distractions to dissolve and let us focus on you that we might experience the power of your presence and your peace through that. And we give you thanks in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together.
business of my own I had no right to draw near your throne
Love.
for this morning, for the time that we have to come to you. Father, I pray that you would draw us close. Where we need to be healed, we pray that you would heal us. Where we need comfort, we pray for comfort. God, we pray that you would encourage us, you would teach us, you would make us more like Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. You guys can have a seat, and at this time we want to dismiss our kids, K through 5, if you... um, our K-5, through you can be dismissed to Sunshine Kids Club. If you're one of our guests, please feel free to go with your kiddo and get them checked in and then come back and join us. Good morning. I hope you've been encouraged this morning so far. I know I have. It's a great time of worship. So our scars tell our story, and uh, we bear the marks of faithfulness or foolishness. If you think about the different scars that you carry around, they usually come with a story, right? Maybe one you're embarrassed to tell, or one that you're a little proud of. Think of the reckless driver causing an accident, getting stuck in his car, and the first responder heroically rescuing him, both receiving scars in the same incident, one coming from foolishness, one coming from faithfulness to the calling that they have, the job that they are there to fulfill. Growing up, I seemed like I was collecting scars, not very many due to faithfulness. (laughs) 
Um, I, for some reason, all in my left hand, it took a while for me to, for it to dawn on me that I was right-handed. So, of course, anytime I was cutting something, my left hand took the brunt of the damage because I just apparently was not very good at cutting things. One particular scar that I have is, it used to be a lot more noticeable. It left a very large lump on my index finger of my left hand. In fact, when I would play guitar, I had to completely change how I could do all the chords after this happened. Um, I was 18, just out of high school. Before I'd gone away to college, I worked at a car lot, um, a Lincoln Mercury dealership in Phoenix. And I was a lot attendant there. And so me and a buddy of mine got a job together. And Saturdays were, were hot and long. But the evenings, we alternated, and only one of us would be there. And so uh, if someone purchased a car, it was our job to kind of get it ready. And so on one particular night in, uh, in, in late August of, of that year, in, in uh, 96, I was pulling a used car in that someone had bought. And it was late in the evening, and they were hurrying. And, and as is the case, if you've ever bought one, they, the dealership tries to force stuff on you, uh, extras. And one of them at this place was this uh, alarm that they would stick on all the cars. And so they would look at the sheet and say, well, I don't want to buy that. And, and so it would be up to me to remove it. Um, the problem is that they didn't give us the tools to remove it. And the only thing I could ever find was a box of razor blades. And so, uh, you know, that's foreshadowing. So I had to uh, sit down. In this particular car, it was late. You know, it's Phoenix, hot, sweaty. You're sitting under there. You're trying to get this thing done. Normally, the people that buy the car don't stand there and watch you. But this couple did. I just remember them right behind me as I'm getting stuff together and you got to go under the dash and I'm, and I'm taking this alarm, you know, unplugging it. Uh, and it's, it's zip tied up there. So you have to cut through the zip ties. And so one in particular, it's, it's really hard to, I forget what kind of car it was, but it wasn't a whole lot of route. And I went and I'm pushing and pushing. So I get through the zip tie. And of course it went to the thing on the other side of the zip tie, which was my left hand. Um, and immediately I could see the concern on the owners that I was getting blood on their car. <laughs> and, and they were like whispering and, and, uh, and I saw I'm, I'm apologizing as I'm trying to clean up my blood that's going all over the place. And I'm holding my hand like this. I had no idea how bad the cut was. All I knew was I better get this thing cleaned up. I'm going to get yelled at. And I, I get it done as best I can. I walk into the, to the showroom and there late at night was just one salesman left. And he sees me and I go, yeah, I think I need a ride to the emergency room. And he looks at me and it's just, you know, I have this large red spot on my uniform at this point. And he agrees. And I said, I don't think I can drive. I had a stick shift and I don't think I, I needed both hands. And, and I just, I said, I don't think I can, I can drive. So we called my dad and he rushed up and took me in. I got right into the emergency room, of course, because I walked in with this huge red spot right here. And uh, everyone thought I was a gunshot or something, I'm sure. And they ushered me right in, sewed it up. And I thought everything was fine until a week later when I went back for, to a regular doctor not to say ER doctors aren't regular doctors, but this one in particular, I'm going to go ahead and say, was not. Based on what the, reg the real doctor said, he said, well, the guy sewed it up for you, but unfortunately, he didn't sew any of the inside stuff up. So the skin flap was back, but, but he said, if I don't go back in there and fix that, in a year or two, your finger's going to be stuck up and you can't, you're not going to be able to move it. And I said, well... So what are my options? <laughs> so, well, you can have a, have a hand that doesn't work, or I can go in and fix it. Um, 
And so I went into my first semester of college with this humongous club on my hand, uh, all from one little cut and one little scar that I now carry around, you know, 20-something years later that's still there, no matter how much they said it would go away if I rubbed, you know, vitamin E on it, it didn't, didn't go away. And so our scars tell a story, and I don't know whether that one was a story of foolishness or faithfulness to my job, but it definitely pointed to a story. Now, in, in Paul's writings, Paul loves to point to his scars because they point to Jesus. They point to the faithfulness that he has, to the calling that Jesus had given to him. Open up with me to Galatians chapter 6. We're going to be primarily at the end of the book of Galatians, and we're going to start with the second to last verse, actually, Galatians 6, 17, where he points to the marks that he carries. And verse 17, he says, from now on, let no one cause me trouble. He's, he's speaking about the anguish that he has in shepherding this church, this wayward church. For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. If you have a new living, I like how it translates that word to scars. And it's pointing to this, this idea of, of uh, in, in that world, there were a few people in society that carried marks that, that uh, showed ownership or a job. A soldier could be marked. Uh, slaves were marked. And, it, and this is speaking mainly to a puncture, a, a, a kind of a... a you know, maybe a few different punctures that would leave a scar and, and some identification. And maybe if you were a runaway slave or different things of that nature, the, the mark could change to identify you. But he points not to what we might consider our, our injury scars, but speaks to the result of walking a life of faithfulness and calling to Christ that he bears on his body, the marks of Jesus. His scars are scars of faithfulness that point to his ministry. He ends the book of Galatians with that phrase. And I think that's important because if, if you know anything about the book of Galatians, you know that it is one of his most strongly worded letters. It's one of his first ones, possibly his first one. Uh, this area of Galatia would have been one of the first areas he went to when him and Barnabas went on their first missionary journey. And it, it kind of reminds me of a parent getting onto a child that just won't stay out of the road. They, they love them, they care about them, so they got to grab them and shake them and say, what are you doing? Do you see these cars? Do you realize what that car would do to you? And so when you read the book of Galatians, you see things like, what is wrong with you? What, why are you going after this other gospel? I just left you and how quickly you move off to another gospel. This isn't what we talked about. This isn't Jesus. This isn't the gospel of Christ. Who has convinced you to believe a lie? And he uses some very emotional words, some strong words. And after all of that, he ends with, I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. And there's a reason why he does that because he wants them to be reminded of what he was willing to risk in order for them to follow after Jesus to know about the gospel. You see, when he was on that first missionary journey, I have it up on the screen for you, but in Acts 14, we know that he was preaching in that area, the area of Galatia, and some Jews came down from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city. This tells us a few things. 
One, that we now know where some of his scars came from to the point that they thought he was dead, right? They, they stoned him. They thought they did their job right. And they left. The disciples came around him. He rose and entered the city again. Glutton for punishment, some might say. Now, stoning is not what we think of where you just chuck a little rock set, you know, just to get the dog away that's, that's in your yard. These are large stones dropped on people, usually held down. So he must have had enough damage to him for the people to think, job well done, let's go back. The other thing this tells us is it tells us a little bit about the personality of the culture of the people. They were known for being fickle. They were known for, we will believe and run after whatever the next message is that comes to town. And so he's reminding them, hey, you remember when I came and I preached the gospel to you? And a church was planted and you all expressed your faith and you were growing to the point that those that were threatened by this growing church came and actually tried to kill me. And then I left and we went on and on. And then I hear that the next person that comes to town completely pulled you away from Jesus. And so in anguish, he calls out, why? What happened? We know that this occasion of uh, this story of this particular set of scars is not the only one. He includes this list in 2 Corinthians 11, and I have that up on the screen for you as well. Just one little part of this laundry list of scars that he has developed in his time in ministry. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. That's the one time. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day adrift at sea. He goes on about starvation and freezing and going about without enough clothes and being rejected. Some of them are physical scars. Some of them emotional scars. The people around him, those that would oppose the work of the gospel, doubted his sincerity. And so he would, they would send out messengers to say, this Paul, he's just, he's just one of those speakers that comes around. He's looking for a following. He's just trying to get, he's trying to get a mega church built. He's, he's just trying to make money off you, you know. The lines don't change over the years when it comes to criticism of churches. They're just in it for the money. He doesn't try to defend himself, but he does point to his scars. And I think that's interesting that he, he allows the stories of his scars to speak for themselves to say, if you, if you doubt my sincerity, look at my faithfulness through what I have endured for the gospel. When we look at the story of Paul's scars, we see a man that's committed to the faithfulness, to the calling of which he's received from God. And when I think about that, it kind of boils down to this idea of fear of man versus the fear of God. And, and if you've heard this term before in this comparison, it's, it's essentially this, this idea that, you know, you, you may be familiar with what it means to fear God. It's, it's, a, it's an odd respect. It's an, it's an understanding that I am accountable to my creator to know that I receive grace and love un, unearned, and so I live out of gratitude, and I know that he is the one uh, that stewards it all, and so I live to honor him. But there's also a pull and a temptation to look around me and see all those that are watching and want to fear 
others' opinions and people's opinions and begin to put those above what God may think about you. And so that's, it's been titled over the years, you have a fear of man versus fear of God issue. Now with Paul, this is a dangerous life of following Jesus because he was all the way over on the fear of God side. And so he was collecting these scars because he was, he was the one that was noticed. And so people would push back. And so he has this long list of things that occurred to him that, that he experienced as a result of his faithfulness because he placed his fear of God over his fear of man. But for us, so many of us, we do bounce back and forth, don't we? And it is a difficulty each day to say, who am I living for today? Who am I seeking to honor today? Because it does have implications on our walk with God and our relationships with others. So it can be a dangerous life because as we've just got done going through the armor of God, we do have a real enemy. And we do live in a world that is bent on persuading us to be worried about what the watching world thinks of us. And to thus change what we believe and how we love others to lose faith. So we still collect scars. <laughs> scars come either way, right? It's a difficult world. Scars come either way. It's a question of what is the cause of those scars. And so I want to backtrack a little bit. We're going to stay in, the, in this last half of, of Galatians 6. But I think Paul ends his letter to the Galatians with just some, some uh, kind of summarized words that, that give some indications and some markers that will help us to say, okay, at this moment in my life, am I living out of a fear of, of what others may think right now? Or am I living out of a healthy fear of God, of an awe and reverence and respect and a, and a worship of God? So let's start up at verse 11. We're going to make our way back to that verse 17. And here you see Paul wanting to emphasize his point after using a scribe throughout this whole letter to, to tell him as the, Spirit, as the Holy Spirit leads him and directs him on, on what this church needs to hear. And again, remember, strong words, strong emotion. Clearly, he cares about these people and he doesn't want them to continue to go the direction they're going. So unlike all of the other letters here, he actually takes, it wasn't a ballpoint pen, but he takes the pen out of the scribe's hands and he writes in his own hand the last few sentences of this letter. And he says, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Now, a lot of people have tried to guess as to what in the world he's talking about here. What large letters? Some, some like to attribute to the fact that he apparently had poor eyesight and they didn't have good readers back then. And so, you know, he would have written in large letters. I, I have a tendency to believe this is the same way it is today, that when you get a text with all caps, you know they're screaming at you, right? Or they don't know how to use the caps lock button. One of those two is happening. It gets your attention. And I, and I think at the very least, we understand that it went from this beautiful script that that's the reason why you hired scribes back then, because again, it was all handwritten. So I would not have gotten a job as a scribe. I can barely get two words written down 
without it just looking like a, you know, I, I look at my children and I think, wow, they have really good handwriting. And I realize I'm just comparing it to my own. My handwriting basically peaked at kindergarten and then it, it just never went any better than that. My teachers eventually gave up giving feedback on pen. Remember when you got grades on penmanship? And it was like S or U, I guess, satisfactory or unsatisfactory. I always got a lot of U's. And eventually they just thought, well, I guess that's not going to get any better. So we've invented keyboards. And I don't write very, very often because it's, it's so bad. Well, these guys were professionals. And so their script was pretty. And, and they got paid to do a good job. And I, and I wonder if the guy was a little offended that Paul rips it out and says, I'm going to finish this. And he starts writing. The readers in these cities, the, there were several cities in Galatia, in southern Galatia, where this letter was, was sent, would have stopped at the end of the letter and said, okay, someone else is writing now. When, when mom calls and put your dad, put the dad on the phone, right? <laughs> That's when as a kid, you know, okay, it's serious. See with what large letters I am writing with my own hand. And now he's going to give, just in a couple verses, a summation of the people that have come in behind him and have led the church astray. And he's going to give a, a, a description of the kind and character of people they are. So I just want to read all this, and then we're going to go back and look and see how they are, could be described as having a fear of man, and that has caused them to do what they are doing, and it has caused them to influence the people to have the same Issues, And so conversely, we can then look at those same markers and say, okay, am, am I seeing any of this pop up in my own heart and in my own life? Verse 12, it says, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Now, he's going to use that word a lot, right? Circumcision. It's, it's symbolic. It was, it was the Jewish rite for the Jewish male. It was given in the Old Testament as a symbol, a mark, if you will, and in fact, a scar that was meant to be an indicator of separation from the rest of the world. This is a people group that was separated for God, and this was something that was done for a purpose. But Paul is using it as a symbol of these that are, have been called legalizers or Judaizers that are coming in and saying, okay, Paul preached the gospel, but that's just way off. What you need to do is follow this, this, and this. And it would be kind of a form of Old Testament law. And so he, he's not just speaking to that one rite of circumcision. He's saying they want you to come in and earn God's love and forgiveness. You need to earn it. That's what their primary message was. But understand that this idea of legalism is closely attached to the idea of, of fear of man. And here's why. Because if, if the message is you need to earn your salvation, it's not grace. It's, it's doing something, an outward act. And if it's all about the outward act, then we necessarily begin to compare and compete with one another. And as soon as we begin to compare and compete with one another, then your opinion of me matters more than what God thinks. And suddenly I'm living in such a way that is, well, what are they going to think about when I do this? And, and what if this happens and what will they do? Will I be accepted into this community if I don't follow in all these traditions that they're expecting? And, and so if you enter into a church or religious community of, of faith that is based on earning salvation, there will be a lot of judgment present. 
and we want to avoid that. And so we have a fear of man that creeps up and it impacts the way we live. So in verse 13, he continues, for even those who are circumcised, talking about those that are coming in, do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Okay, so there's four things that I see here that are markers that I think Paul is pointing out about how fear of man is coming out in this community. So we're going to look at what does it look like to have the fear of man? And so the first one I see is the letter F in fear. We're going to spell something again. The letter F, there's a focus on the surface. There's a focus on the surface. Look at verse 12. He says that they want to have a good showing of flesh. They want everyone to see that on the outside, it all looks put together. Because that's what it's all about, is the outward surface issues. So when, when, when I notice that I'm more concerned with what people are seeing than what God sees in my heart, then I have a fear of man issue lurking, right? That surface issue. What we're really talking about is integrity, what is integrity? Integrity is, do I act the same when everyone's watching as when no one's watching? And as believers, when Jesus walks onto the scene and, and he's surrounded by people that were all about the outward, he points everybody to the heart. And he says, hey, I know the law says don't kill, and I hope you're doing all right with that. But really, the intent is where is your heart at with loving others, or are you hateful? If you're more concerned with the surface, if you have a focus on the surface, then you're more concerned with the people watching instead of the God who knows you. So these people had a focus on surface issues. They lacked integrity. The E is that they embraced comfort. We all do that, right? In fact, the naturalists would say that's part of being a living person. No one purposely runs after discomfort. No one runs to pain. No one runs to the things that hurt us. And here's where we, we begin to see a big difference. When there's a focus on, or when we, when we seek to embrace comfort, which is the next one, we begin to see the world in a, in a frame of how I can protect myself instead of how I can love my neighbor as myself. And there's a very big difference there because yes, we, you know, the, the Bible is not saying go out and hurt yourself intentionally. That's, that's not the point. But the point is if we live out sacrificial love as Christ did for us, we, uh, we're showing love as Christ did. And, and understand, when Christ was about to go to the cross, he was not just looking for pain. If you remember in the garden, he said, if there was another way out of this, I would prefer it. God, if there was, if there was a plan B, let's do that. Knowing full well this was his Father's will. And he submitted to that plan that had been set in motion from the foundations of the earth because... God so loved the world that he gave his only son. When we have a fear of man issue, if you're wondering, if you're struggling with that, just consider that. Am I embracing comfort right now? Am I just whatever makes me protect me instead of putting my eyes on my neighbor, on those around me? Because it says in verse 12, as it continues on, 
that they're doing this, that they may not be persecuted. Look back there in verse 12. It is those who want to make a good showing of the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. What is happening here is there's, there's something that I, I would call gospel exclusion. You see, it is okay to exist in this world as a Christian as long as you leave out the cross. If you think about all the times that there has been flack in this world or pushback against the gospel, it's, it's not the love part. It's, 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 it's not the forgiveness part. It's how the bill was paid and why. Because if there's a cross... That means there was a reason, and the reason is my sin, and that means that I am held accountable for my sin, and that's the message that is offensive. So when you embrace comfort, you are, you are living a life of exclusion to the gospel, that you want to say, hey, I want to be a part of Jesus. I just don't want the Savior and the sin part. Just tell me I'm good on my own. Jesus didn't embrace comfort. He recognized our need that we are all born with this sin problem, that it's a very real problem. And even if we surround ourselves with comforts, as we are apt to do in America, because we live so well, that we can insulate ourselves from looking at ourselves in the mirror long enough to recognize that I've got a gap in my heart and all this stuff is not filling it. Jesus went to the cross because of that gap, and he offers the opportunity for us to receive forgiveness. And if you're here today and you have not come to that point in your life where you've recognized the fact that you are missing that, stop embracing comfort, stop caring about what other people might think, and look to him, the one that came as the Savior for your sin problem. So that's the F and the E. The A is altered reality. We see that in 13. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. They are hypocritical, altered reality. They like to walk around and say, hey, um, you know, here's all the rules. And you, they apply to you, but they don't apply to me. That's hypocrisy. That's the very definition of hypocrisy. And guess what? We're all hypocrites because we all do it. When we see other people and we go, oh, those horrible people, look, look at what they're doing. But we don't apply that same heart issue to myself. Well, that applies to you. It doesn't apply to me. I think when we begin to see that bubble up, we have to go, okay, am I seeking to honor God with my life? Or do I have a fear of man issue? The last one that he has, he lays down with them, is that they, uh, but they desire, in the last part of verse 13, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. The R of fear is results. Results. What, are, what results am I seeking in my relationship with God and my relationship with others? Am I hoping to get something out of this? You see, back then, these teachers, these itinerant teachers that would go around, were doing the very thing they accused Paul of. It was all about creating a following. It's not really any different than today. If you think about Instagram as a new platform, but it's the same source, issue is, can I get enough people watching me and approving me of what I'm doing? It's just now it's, it's quantifiable. 
And there's been much written about lately, and I know we probably don't have anybody in here that's like struggling with being an Instagram influencer. <laughs> like, there's a real problem with me. But there are a lot of people out there like that. that are, and it's just an example, I think, of how this is very similar to what has always been the case for us, that when we have a fear of man issue, it's all about what are the results, and it's all about numbers and stats, and do I have enough people approving of what I'm doing and, and liking me? And, and there's been more and more research coming out about the anxiety and the stress and the mental breakdowns that are the result of those that enter into this world and then it just gets out of control and they can't keep up because every day, right? Every day I need to get people to like me. Every day I need to get people to approve of what I'm doing. There was a, a, a case study done in a, in a woman named Bella Young in the UK, and she came up with this alternate uh, personality called uh, Deliciously Stella. It's, I don't think it's around anymore, so you don't need to get your phone out and search for it. But she had the idea whenever everyone, all the rich, famous people were doing these super healthy posts about all the healthy, you know, cucumber juice they were drinking. She was like, I'm just going to take pictures of me drink chugging a Coke. And, and a few people thought it was funny. And then she, so she started going down this road and she says that eventually she stopped being Bella Young and she was deliciously Stella everywhere she went. And her whole mind and, and heart and soul were put into this effort to get more and more people to like what she was doing. She eventually had to check herself into rehab. And even in rehab, she was posting once a day, talking about the issues that had come from posting so often. She said she realized that her likes and followers were directly impacting her self-worth. You see, we still get scars when we have a fear of man. We still get scars because now they're, they're scars of foolishness, of looking around me and saying, what do I have to do in order to get acceptance? Because the very thing we're searching for can never be found in other people, only in God. And so as we move on to verse 14, he's going to switch gears and now look at his own life and contrasting and how he carries out a fear of God. It says, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross for our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. And he's speaking about the idea of salvation, which is the context of the entire book, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. So we had the fear of man, now we have the fear of God, and the, the F changes, and now it's a focus on heart issues, right? He says, look at the new creation. This, this outward expression doesn't count for anything. You can't earn God's love. You've been regenerated by the grace of God, and now you have a new creation. Scripture says he gives us a new heart that beats for the things of God, and so that should be our primary concern is, is my heart beating for the things of God? So when we do run into a surface issue, like an anxiety over a problem or a worry or a, or a, a you know, worrying about some, some need in your life or a relationship or, or I'm just always angry all the time or I just seem to lash out at people, the fear of man would be, I need to, I need to watch what I'm saying and, 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 you know, I need to be more likable. God is saying, let me get down to that heart issue. What is causing this expression? What's happening at the heart level? 
the Holy Spirit has made residence in your life for a reason to empower you and to give you that opportunity to beat for the things of God. The E is we embrace the cross. Instead of embracing comfort, we embrace the cross. He says that he doesn't boast in anything else but the cross. He has died to the world. If you want further thought on that, go to Philippians 3 and spend time in how Paul treats his former life of creating a following, of having stats, of, of, of being the leader in the Pharisee movement, to now it's all trash. And all he does is focus on the gospel. A... And I like this one, altered reality. It's alter. It's for those of you listening on the podcast, A-L-T-A-R. This is an actual word. Apparently some nuns came up with it in the 17th century. This is your life in presence or in relation to an altar. Chris talked about this last week in Romans chapter 12, that we be a living sacrifice. When we have a fear of God, we begin to see that all the things that came in my past, my pride, my issues, the view of myself, all of that has been put to death on the cross. I can now live in light of being a living sacrifice. And finally, the last are the results for living in a fear of God is peace and mercy. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy upon them and upon the Israel of God. This is grace experienced. When we set aside that need and that desire to live by the dictates of those around us and instead sit at the feet of Christ and allow him to change our heart from the inside out, we begin to see a peace that doesn't make any sense. We begin to experience a mercy for the things we leave behind in our daily sin. And we can begin to live in a, a way where scars maybe still happen, but when we point to them, they give a testimony about our faithfulness to God. Paul points to his scars because they, they point to Jesus. And yes, all of us have a few that highlight our foolishness at time. Paul would call out to us in his large handwriting, as he does to the church in Galatia, Say, live in a fear of God. Allow your scars to be ones of stories of faithfulness to Christ. Let me pray. Dear God, in a few moments, we're going to see some children come up and be baptized to give a testimony of, of this very thing, that they have found their hope that was placed in you. So it's a time of celebration. It's a time of thanksgiving for what you're doing in their lives. But I pray right now for all those that are here to witness it. If there is anyone that this is, uh, this need for a savior is present in their life, that this would be the moment that they call out to you and just simply say, forgive me of my sin. I want to follow you. Come into my life. Lead me, guide me. I pray that that could be the heart message of someone here today for all of us that have committed to following after you, that we do have the Holy Spirit within us that is guiding us and directing us. I pray for every day that we wake up and we have need to rely on you once again. I pray that we would live in a altered reality as a living sacrifice, holy and dedicated to you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Would you stand with us? Oh, my hope is in Jesus. 
You guys can have a seat. We have a great opportunity to celebrate the ordinance, it's called, of baptism that uh, Jesus gave to us in Matthew chapter 28. And we are celebrating, we call it a celebration of baptism because we have two individuals that place their faith in Jesus Christ. They trusted him as Savior and their sins are forgiven and they receive the free gift of eternal life. And we get to celebrate that with them today as they declare their faith in Christ. Why is salvation necessary? Uh, scripture tells us and our experience as human beings tells us that, that we are born, uh, that we don't measure up to God's holy standards. We are self-centered, we're rebellious. And um, thankfully, as Matt pointed out today, uh, Christ offers a solution for us. How do we receive salvation? We simply believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Scripture tells us that we believe that he is God the Son, that uh, he came to earth and that he died on the cross for your sin in your place, was buried and rose again. And through belief in him, through trusting him and the work that he did on the cross for us, our sins are forgiven and we receive the free gift of eternal life. And he enters our life to lead us. So that's what we are celebrating today with Lee and Rabine and with Western, Weston Leonard. We're going to start with Weston. So Weston, if you'll come on down. Weston is the son of Robert and Nicole Leonard, and his father is going to baptize him today. I remember uh, just a few months ago when uh, Weston came up to me after the morning uh, worship service and told me that he had trusted Christ as his savior and, and so uh, weston i've got two questions for you have you trusted jesus as your savior yes okay and why do you want to be baptized today because i want to show everyone that i accepted christ that's very exciting okay robert go back just like this okay Weston, based on your profession of faith, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> okay, next is Lydian Rabine. She is the daughter of Jeremy and Shonda, and Lydian is a junior in high school. Come on down. You got two questions for her? Lydian, have you uh, trusted Jesus as your Savior? Yes. Excellent. And why do you want to be baptized today? Because I believe that God has a plan for me. So, Lydia, based on your profession uh, of faith in Jesus Christ, I baptize you today in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. (laughs) (laughs) 
Would you join me in praying for their continued growth in Christ? Father God, we thank you so much for Lydian and for Weston. We thank you for what you've done in their lives, and we thank you for the reminder of what you've done in our lives, those of us that have trusted you as Savior. We pray for Weston and Lydian, that not only would this be a marker in their lives, but that they would continue to walk in newness of life, that they would grow in, a, in an understanding of your grace and be changed and transformed by you from the inside out to look more and more like you in their actions and their words, their attitudes. And we give you thanks that they're part of our church family and that we can do this together. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. I'm going to end with a couple of songs. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. God from
you guys for being with us. 